Welcome to the Remembering Ethan podcast. I'm Chris Tafoya. My guest today is Shannon Brown. I met Shannon because she reached out to me after listening to a couple of the episodes of the podcast and commented on how she was enjoying them. So I invited her to speak with me and she accepted. And after talking to her, I was able to understand a little bit more about the depth of their relationship and what he meant to her. So this is my first time talking to Shannon. Uh, Ethan, again, is still introducing me to really cool people, and I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. So here's our talk. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Shannon. Thanks for joining me tonight. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here chatting with you. Awesome. Yeah, you know, I um, towards the end of all my conversations, and it was a real treat when you reached out to me um, about how you were enjoying uh, the episode or two that you'd listened to. And um, it was just really cool that you were willing to talk to me to get a couple more interviews in before the whole thing's done, you know. So I appreciate it. For sure. It. He's, uh, it's my pleasure. He's a really easy guy to talk about, you know. He's... <laughs> He's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I've had a few people that'll say, well, I don't know if I have an hour to talk about with Ethan. And I just say, okay. And then, you know, <laughs> it always ends up being like an hour or two and I'm having to edit out like 40 minutes of stuff. So that's believable. That's, that's pretty, yes, that's understandable for sure with him. Yeah, Ethan was quite a guy for sure. Before we get into Ethan though, um, why don't you, since this is our first time meeting, why don't you tell me a little bit about your yourself? So it's interesting. It kind of, you know, it's um, aligning, if you will, with like Ethan and I's, this, the specialness to he and I's relationship in a way. Um, again, like you mentioned, I've listened to a couple of your other podcasts and there's so many things I'm, I'm a little bit mindful to not echo too, too much because a lot of people get, have, have done such a really eloquent job of describing him and, um, but my life has always kind of paralleled. Like I'm a musician on one hand and a songwriter over here. And, and I love that part of my life, but I am in a stage of my life. Ironically enough, I've circled back to about six months ago, really intently that I was when I first met Ethan. So it's really interesting, which is really focusing on the business side. During COVID, I was a partner in a restaurant, dream come true. One of my dream concepts I had been dreaming about since little girl type stuff. Ethan actually came out and played my first year anniversary um, party that I had there, but I'd had the restaurant a couple of years. COVID was happening. It was in California. I'm a Florida girl. I'd been living in Arizona since 2010. This was obviously COVID 2020. And I was kind of even at that point, ready to start making my way back to Florida. It was in the back of my mind. And so I sold, got out of the restaurant, got out of that part. They're still open. They're still going, but my operating partner and I left and I opened up a consulting company and was helping people that, were struggling in entertainment and hospitality during COVID. And then it just kind of took off and worked. And I've brought that consulting company to Florida now. And I circled back and I'm working with my old boss that moved me to Arizona in the first place over a decade ago. So it's all really round robin right now. It's really interesting. It's like nothing has changed, but everything has changed. Um, but that's kind of what's going on with me. I have some, some clients that are keeping me busy and you know, the rest of the time I'm at the beach, it's fall in Florida. So. Uh, sounds like a really hard life. 
it's awful. I'm telling you. The view, I tell everyone, I'm like, I live in paradise. I'm aware of it. I know it. Okay. I don't live in the alligator part of Florida. I live on the, I actually live in a town called Stewart. That's uh, it's called the treasure coast. And it's, if you Google it, it is quite literally paradise. So I'm a lucky girl. Oh yeah. Florida is really cool. I like Florida. It's some beautiful parts for sure. Yeah. And one of my questions was going to be, um, if you are a musician and you mentioned that you're a songwriter and a musician as well, tell me a little bit about that. I started songwriting in, kind of by mistake. I was going into college and I was at a, the summer between high school and college. Mm -hmm. And I was at a party and I was singing out back and I'm from a very Southern family. We, everybody sings. It's one of those families. Everybody plays, everybody sings. And um, so I was at a party here in town and met a friend who was like, you need to come and do this with us. They were around Orlando at the same time, not going to school, but around. And they would kind of sort of drag me to the studio from time to time. And I don't, I still don't, people kind of confuse it with, you know, a stage fright situation or something. I just don't have a want to perform like some people do, but I really love making music. And so the songwriting aspect has always been the outlet for me the the expression there but um kind of the goals and the ambitions behind doing anything with it I've had some cool moments over my life for sure that I'm really really proud of but um it's my happy place it's not really where I find a lot of drive and ambition I just kind of take the opportunities as they come to me with that um and yeah so that's that's what that's been but music is my life for sure every time I try to do it solely for money it's just sucks it out in a way you know like yeah. when you have a lot going on and you go into the studio to make an album or or you know a session a writing session if i don't need to pay rent my work's always better right you know it's such it's right. such a thing and i turned 39 this year and i really remember when i turned 29 ironically it was a year after meeting ethan i kind of decided that i was going to put music to the true back burner for a while i was just kind of leaving it as this mysterious thing that I could use to make money when I needed to. And I would go sell five songs and make, you know, a chunk of change and then I'd be good. And it, it, I didn't realize then how that so directly correlated to being unhappy and not having music is my happy place anymore. Sure. You know, you sit down at the piano cause you have to, not because you want to. And it really, it really sucked a, a life out. I feel like um, people in the cover music industry probably have a similar sort of relationship with it at some point, you know, not, not being a musician, looking at it, you probably think, wow, what a cool, you know, you can't complain because you get to go into bars and sing and play and everyone's watching you and you get to eat for free and drink free drinks and this kind of stuff. But you know, after a while, it does, it, it does become a little bit of a soul sucker. I guess music in general, if it's not, if you're not having a reciprocal community, you know, a reciprocal relationship with the audience, it can be a little bit draining. So it's, yeah, I get what you're saying about doing it more just because you love it rather than as opposed to like trying to make enough to make rent or whatever. For sure. And I think that it's one of those few professions that can be so romanticized. It looks so glamorous you say to someone I'm a songwriter and they're like that's amazing you're like well 
it's actually <laughs> kind of, like, you're not wrong but you're not you know it can be the the daunting it can be very daunting you know and god forbid you throw a couple good ones out there and then every single time after that you tell somebody you're working on something that bar is just higher and higher and higher and that's not the point of music for me so i have to i learned about it yeah about 10 years ago that i really have to keep it in check for me okay so you you sold some songs so you're a songwriter in the way that you would write them and sell them to other artists to perform yes yes cool that's yeah that's, really cool. that's cool that you've had that experience what's your um what's your main instrument keys i'm a keys player i'm a piano player yeah, I've tried for so long to learn the guitar and I can hold my own, you know, I can play the main chords and when I'm in there in a session, I can kind of get across what what's in my head. But sure. like you said, I'm very limited when it comes to some things. And, you know, it was funny about a couple of years ago, I was out in California and I was jamming with some friends and we're working on something. And I realized also that like, there's something with sitting, there's something about still, um, you know, you've been a musician for quite some time and being in this industry for almost two decades. Now you, I sit back and when someone else plays a guitar so well or plays a horn so well, or when anything other instrument, I love that I still get the awe. I yeah. love that I'm still like, God, you're good at that. You know, it doesn't necessarily make me not want to learn, but you, we're adults life happens and you have taxes to pay and things and you know um I kind of have just decided that uh I'm I'm happy that the keys I'm I'm happy when it's just me and a piano and so I've put the other put the pressure of learning something else away you know <laughs> like I think as a musician there's like this implied thing that you're supposed to you're not you don't have to stop at one and I'm like well I'm going to you know <laughs> I mean, it's definitely taking me over the, not the tangent on just music without E, but you know, some, this is a very Ethan type conversation. Like I didn't, sure. I haven't always known that, um, that I was a songwriter necessarily. Like I've, I've always known since I've always been a writer since I was a little girl, like, you know, my mom would tell stories. Like when I cry, I hold my breath. I'm a quiet crier. I'm one of those. And like, if I can get to blank paper, I can tell you how I feel. And what I just noticed over life is that, you know, I feel I have serious imposter syndrome from time to time saying I'm a songwriter if I haven't written a song in, in a recent amount of time. But the truth of the matter is when I sit down, I'm not deciding if it's a song or if it's a poem or if it's a short story, like I just write. And then I'll either look back at it or I'll realize there's a melody in my head to it. Now, if you send me the last decade of my career, more often than not, if I sold music, it was because someone sent me a track. Someone said, we're working on this, here's the track, and then I can write to that. That is something, that's a skill set I possess. That's great. But if I'm just writing on my own and writing songs on my own, it comes out as what it comes out as. Right. I don't sit back, you know? So, and I also realized, you know, again, approaching 40, you hear these issues that people have with different instruments and different things. I was a dancer. I've been a dancer my whole life. So my hand dexterity, period, the strength in my hands, period, kind of really set me up for success with playing keys. You know, you have to stretch your hands in a certain way when you do certain types of dancing. And I look back and I'm like, I wonder <laughs> if I would have been as good of a keys player if I didn't also have dance. So it's just kind of funny how life does what it does 
you know yeah you're right yeah i understand and that is a very we are having a very ethan conversation for sure it's your job to just bring it out you're the vessel it, exactly you know if you're if it's half a song it's half a song if it's a full song and it sounds awesome great if it doesn't you can poke around play with it but whatever comes comes and it's you know it is what it is kind of kind of thing so i learned that yeah I'm always surprised too with the music you know I'll play songs for people sometimes that I'm working on and the ones that I think are great fall dead to the room and the ones that I think are just throwaways and I'm mm -hmm. having fun at a party out back just you know at a campfire and I'm like well this is nothing but and and four people will light up and that's great I never see my barometer is consistently off with music <laughs> so I've learned that you just got to put it out in the world and it's yeah. gonna land for some people or it's not you know so you sing as well? Um, I sing, I do. Okay. I enjoy singing. I, I, I don't know what it means, but I always feel the need to say to people, I singing is something that makes me happy and I enjoy it. Like I enjoy going for walks, but do I, I'm tentative from time to time to say I'm a singer because then there's a certain level of expectation and I'll go into sessions and people are like, you're a singer, you know, harmonize. And I'm like, listen, maybe we'll see, you know, and sometimes it really works out and sometimes it doesn't. And there are notes that I'm like, that's, that's not a me thing. That's not a go warm up thing. That's a, I'm not going to hit that situation. So um, I have a hard time saying I'm a singer, but I do sing if I'm not being too critical of vernacular, you know? Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. So, uh, you know, a good place to start is where Ethan came into your life. Do you remember how you met him? I moved to Phoenix from South Florida um, for, for work. I got sent out for work and I worked for the comedy clubs, the improvs and subsequently stand up live in Phoenix. And I was running clubs in South Florida and they sent me out there and I didn't really know how long I was going to be there. I mean, I moved out there and that ends up becoming a really important part of Ethan and I's relationship, how he kind of busted the door down, if you will. Um, but I met him in the summer of 2011 and then we really got close. We became friends, I should say, and it moved out of just a professional relationship um, in the spring of 2012. I was running stand-up live out there as a comedy club, if you're not familiar. And it's just like the improvs. It's huge. It was new to Phoenix and um, we knew we were going to do a couple, you know, was kind of the idea. And we had a concept next door to it. Had, there's, it's still there called Copper Blues and super proud of Copper. I was so happy to be a part of everything that was going on. It was a brand new concept. We didn't have any in South Florida. And it was basically a stage with 120, is basically a stage with 120 beer taps in front of it, huge room, live music venue. So, when we opened, we the Ethan part of how I met Ethan, how he became so important in life. Um, when we opened, we decided that the programming to Copper Blues was going to be Monday nights is blues night and Tuesday night is country night and Wednesday and this kind of mentality. And I learned very quickly in the first season, doesn't work. Doesn't work. It's, you know, just not a thing. So completely kind of shut it down. So I needed... I needed the musicians. I needed the people in town that not not necessarily had a draw, if you will, but just the quality. I wanted to make sure that the that it, no matter who was playing the Copper Blue stage, 
you could you didn't need to check the calendar for who was playing you could just always go to copper blues from 4 to 10 p.m and there was going to be good talent on stage you were going to have a good time well ethan was in 17 no matter who i booked you know i'd go while they were setting up to say hi and you know i wasn't around a lot in the first six months because i had both sides of the building so i've got two managers over here two managers over here and i'm kind of floating between all of it but i always saw ethan and so i'm like how many bands is this guy in so i say to one of my managers i'm like this one this one just plays with everybody like what he's like yeah that's ethan newman so I'm so somewhere around spring, six months in, I pull Ethan aside and I said, I need your help. I don't want to hire a booker. I want to book my own room, but I need, I need to understand the dynamic and I will never forget it. He flailed his arms out and licked a proverbial air pen and was like, how long do you have? And he proceeded to give me, you know, what a lot of people that became family, he gave me, you know, Oh my gosh. I mean, it's pretty everyone that you've recorded a podcast with, first of all, like he gave me the Todd Millers and the Jay Allens and the Tony Kings. And Ethan was first playing copper regularly, almost every Friday with Easton Ash. And when I gave him, you know, kind of the direction that I wanted to go in for acoustics and for this, he was so it's, it's funny because it was really profound to me in the beginning of our relationship meeting Ethan but after that, really by the summer of 12, we were pretty much family for the next couple of years. Um, Asia had come into his life. Asia was around and Asia and I became very close. So it moved us into that friends family category. But Ethan was always so beautiful because it wasn't the first place I booked live music for in my career. And, you know, he could have made it just an open door to, to book his friends. You know, right. he could have, there, there's such a gray area there where I had so much trust in him that was not like me as an operator. I have to meet everyone, see everyone, hear everyone. Um, right. But it just got to a point where everyone that he brought me was of such talent and he was so honest. Ethan would say, you know, you want this guy as an acoustic, as a duo, but he's crap after 9 p.m. and, you know, is going to be asleep in the booth. If you book him full band, he's going to be dead by 11 o'clock. Um, he really always kind of protected what I wanted for the room mm-hmm. and for the sound and the musicians and same with me you know he knew it was really important to me for the musicians to be happy I wanted copper to be a place that they liked to play we did my owner did as well like it was really important at the time and um and Ethan would come to me and <laughs> the day he walked through the office and he's like you know I we do a lot around here <laughs> and I'm like what do you want and he's like a soundboard that I apparently we just had like a crap soundboard. We didn't have enough channels and you know, whatever. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll get you a, we'll get a new soundboard. Like I'll call the sound guy. Okay. All right. You're making a point. Like I hear you. And he goes, well, no, you made that too easy. Can, I prepared a whole speech. The last two days I practiced it in the mirror. Can you just let me get this out? And I was like, okay. Ethan. <laughs> so he, you know, that's how he came into my life, but he really, very quickly transitioned into a, just a big brother. And he, I didn't, I didn't really realize it. until I was kind of preparing a chat with you tonight, but I met Ethan at 27. Mm-hmm. I think I presented everything, but I, I was very ambitious at the time um, and very work centric. And, you know, my top seven priorities out of my top 10, it was like work one through nine and family was 10, you know, sleep was like 15th. 
And Ethan um, sat me down in August, right before my birthday of 2012. We've been friends a little over a year. And he was like, you don't have any fun. Life's passing you by. You're doing this all wrong. You're great. We get it. But you're miserable. Yeah. And I was like, how do you know that? My best friends don't know that. My family doesn't know that. And he was like, I do. And he always did. That was Ethan. He always did. You know, he could always kind of look at me across the room without saying anything. And I know so many people, what his, what his passing gave us is, I thought it was such a, I mean, to the friends, to his core people too. I knew we weren't that special. And I knew he was like this with a lot of people. But then when he passed to see the, to see the true ripple of how many was just so, so kind of beautifully mind numbing in a way. But, um. I didn't really have that out there. You know, he gave me a home in Arizona. I remember I used to say to people all the time, I I live in Florida. You know, I'm out here running the club. I live in Florida. I live in Florida. And it was Ethan who sat me down same around that time of that birthday. And he was like, why do you say that? Why do you, you live here? You, I'd fallen in love. I had a low, I'd fallen in love with a local musician that he was close with. He's like, you have an apartment here. You pay rent here. You're in a committed relationship here. You have friends here. You've made family here. You have a beautiful business here. Why do you keep saying you live in Florida? And I was like, I don't know why I do that. I sh- Okay, I'll think about that. You, he, you always had this way of kind of bringing me into the current. Re- I was living so far in the future. I had so much to get done. And I was right. there to accomplish so much that Ethan had a way of really bringing me, regrounding me, if you will. Sure. He's really good at that. <laughs> Yeah, he was. Yeah. You know, and what what is not surprising to me anymore, but was surprising to me at the beginning of this journey when I started the podcast was how many people were echoing, you know, parroting what you're telling me now. Because it was, you know, I have my own story of how he stepped in and what he told me to get me in the right frame of mind for where I was at that point in my life when I met him. And, um, it's just amazing that, and you know, it's like, as soon as Ethan decided he was going to care for someone or love someone, he always knew the right thing to say to them at the moment that they needed to hear it. (laughs) It was a talent of his that is just like, it's mind boggling. It's just, you know, and even though I've heard it a, a few times with everyone that I've spoken to, I love hearing here like from you i'd be mm-hmm. I just what a beautiful thing for him to say and to like point out to you and yeah. i think you know i agree and for me at least i think so many people cherished ethan yeah. um and and i can only speak for myself but it when i met ethan i was at a place in life where you know, I'd moved a lot and it caught like, I, I'm, I wasn't one of those sort of people. I didn't, I've always moved a lot. My family's always moved a lot. So I wasn't one of these sort of people that was like, Oh, I've had this friend for 30 years. We've been friends since kindergarten. You know, I didn't really have that. And Ethan, um, kind of really ushered in as in my adult phase, I suppose, uh, this con this unconditional love, just radical acceptance. I didn't, he didn't care that I was a live music booker. He wasn't friends with me because like he rich, broke, poor, happy, sad, dirty. He loved you. And 
the doors open and come over. I didn't, I didn't have to be anything to be Ethan's friend. I just was Ethan's friend. He just loved me. And I, that was such a cherishable thing. I mean, it is in life period, but specifically at that time. And I remember it was right after Asia passed that he and I truly had that conversation because, you know, we'd had no, just again, echoing so many people. But um, when you do what we do in in the industry, you you live a lot of your life between 3 a.m. and 9 a.m. You know, our 3 a.m. can be someone else's 5 p.m., if you will. So when I was listening to your episode with Jay Allen, he's like, I, I laughed out loud listening to it because he said something along the lines of, you know, Ethan would call him at 2.30 in the morning and go, come over. Like, I would just call Ethan walking home from work and he wouldn't he wouldn't pick up the phone and say hello. He'd pick up the phone and go, are you driving? And yeah, I'd be like, well, I, yeah, all right, I guess, you know, and yeah. so and it's a different kind of life that happens, I think, between that time. It's not to note anything on on the partying side of life. It's just there's an honesty, I think, that is Ethan 24 hours, but is absolutely spending time with Ethan in that time. And um, yeah, you just he just loved without any kind of pretense. And that is can be so rare, unfortunately, you know? Yeah, it's true. You don't come across people like Ethan often. It's the truth, you know, and he never, you know, it's, it's interesting too, because again, South Florida, um, just certain ways that I grew up, I used to tell Ethan all the time, you're more of a feminist than I am, you know, like he held such in 2012, we weren't, we weren't really talking about mental health yet. We weren't really talking about quote holding space. There are Mm -hmm. things now in 2023 that maybe, you just weren't so second nature then. And, but I remember even then telling him so often how thankful I was for how he loved out loud. He told me every day, every day he would call me, you know, at, I don't want to say every day, but so often, several times a week, just a random text message or a, I love you. Drink water today. <laughs> I love you. Did you eat tuna today? You know, just yeah. checking in on you. And, and he would say, you know, just silly stuff that, that typically your male friends aren't reminding you about and you're just like how Ethan Newman how are you (laughs) how are you you sir you know yeah so wow that is so I think I think that is such a one of the beautiful gifts to Ethan too you mentioned her a minute ago so she's on the mind now but Brad the dad and and I've always called Kathleen Mama Newman since the day I met her I was like Mama Newman and post question mark and she's like sure you know so the first time I met them Ethan and I had been friends only a couple of months so I met them pretty early on as well and it just it just makes sense you know you meet the two of them and you spend any kind of time with them and and Ethan makes a lot of sense but it's not all of my male friends I can sit with at three in the morning and discuss you know proton decay and Mars and you know and or or the music theory of Stoney LaRue, you know, it's right. just, the, the, it was so, it was so free being Ethan's friend. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah that, that uh, I like that. That's a good quote. You know, it was so free to be Ethan's friend because you felt truly yourself. So you mentioned when you met him, uh, you were booking bands. So your first introduction to Ethan was watching him perform with uh, these various projects that he was in. What were, 
what were some of your favorite ones that you saw him performing? It was, I loved it. Well, they, I learned very quickly they were different Ethans, and I mean that mm -hmm. in a complimenting way. Um, I got to learn a lot about him watching him perform. But he was Easton Ash, and then he was doing a lot with the walk-ins. Um, and, oh, gosh. Okay, I said a, this to the boys. That was with Todd, right? With Todd yeah. Miller, uh-huh. And, uh, but I think, I mean, honestly, my favorite Ethan is acoustic duo trio Ethan, because yeah. when you give the man a microphone, he's yeah. just, you know, and again, what he can do one-on-one. -on -one. So in the party rock after 9 p.m. environment, he's dynamic. But when it's that five to seven happy hour, just him and he did, I mean, he did duos with everyone. I pretty much would book him and bring whoever you want. So he would do, you know, when I'm not having a hard, they're all racing through my mind. I'm not having a hard time remembering. I just don't want to pick the wrong ones in the wrong order, if you will, in a, in a way. But um, I really always enjoyed he and Marty Lucas. That was a, a really selfish, special thing that I loved. Um, they had a brotherhood on stage that was super, super fun. He and Jay are super fun together. They're just super cool. And um, they were called something though. Mike and Ted. North maybe? When he would play with, um, I think their band was called North. I think Mike and Ted's full band was North. Yeah, so they would, they would do a trio. The three of them would do acoustics from time to time. And um yeah, that's that's my favorite performing Ethan, if you will, in the in the happy hour world. Do you have um is there any particular night that sticks out in your memories? Wednesdays like, for sure. Wednesdays? Wednesdays for sure, because it was always more of an industry night. There we Copper Blues and Stand Up Live itself had a lot of staff. And Ethan being Ethan, you know, quickly knew everyone's name. He would shout to the barbacks from stage, you know, hey Caden, can you hand me a bottle of water? He knew everyone from my 18 year old food runners to my, you know, everybody. Yeah. And, um, and so Wednesdays became something pretty special for a while because half of the room was our team, you know, and so off having, having a good time on their days off. So that, and it was, again, selfishly, it was my early night. It was usually my admin day. So I'm, when he's coming on, I'm done for the day. I'll stay and watch you perform for an hour or so, go home change. And then come meet you guys and we'll go have a night off when everybody's done and have some dinner. And so Wednesdays for a while were really special. That's cool. Yeah. That's not, that would be a fun night. Um, Ethan was famous for bringing his friends up on stage. Like if you knew he sang or played, especially when he was doing the acoustic thing, he'd have you come up and do something. Did he ever put you in the hot seat in that way? Oh my gosh. Do you know several times, first of all, and I, I, figured out what the tells were, you know, cause sometimes he'd just be talking to you. He started to uh, call me up once we, I'm a country girl, I love country music. So he, we don't have a similar taste in music, but you, I mean, Ethan will listen to pretty much anything from, sure. from my experience, right? So yeah. we, he, you know, he did what the opposite of most people do when they find out that I love country music, he dove into it with me. So he would learn and, you know, again, as did his partner at the time. So she'd be playing songs he would he'd come into the office just singing a texas arcana you know dirt um red dirt song that he just shouldn't know like it's not like it's country that's even on the radio very obscure artist and you know and i could tell that he'd been up all night 
listening to them. So at, at least when he called me up, it was always really fun and um, special for me. He wasn't calling me up to sing, you know, something that was top 40 or, or something like that. So I always, I always appreciated that at the very least when he would make me sing in public. Sure. <laughs> you, will. Yeah. Yeah. you know, another thing that I'm always curious about, because like with my experience with Ethan, I walked, I walked away from my relationship with him always is like having a better understanding of something or for lack of a better way to put it, like having learned a lesson or something that inspired me that I took away from my friendship with him. Can you think of anything like that? Like, did you learn anything from being his friend? Igualamante. Ethan and I used to say Igualamante. He was in, um, we were somewhere and and again, my family, we all say, someone says, hang, they hang up the phone and they say, I love you. And we always say the other person will say, I love you more. Mm-hmm. And so Ethan picked it up. And for a while I would say, I love you. I love you more. And then one day he, he, you know, we're hanging out and he said, I don't want to do that anymore. And like, like he was in the middle of a conversation. We weren't talking about it. And I said, you want to, you don't want to do what anymore? And he said, I don't want to do I love you more anymore. He said, I love you equally. You're my friend. I, I love you like as much as this back and forth. I, I love you equally. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, we started Iguala which basically loosely translated means I love you the same, right? It means like same love. And again, today, kind of just going down a little bit of an Ethan rabbit hole, I was zooming back through our old text messages Mm-hmm. And it's just years of Igualamante. And it's, um, I took the concept in his, in his passing um, much deeper. You know, I took the concept of like loving someone. Ethan and I's friendship was so profound because we both gave. We both, I showed up in it. He showed up in it. It was just this exchange. And, and it kind of makes having any friendship after it impossible if it's not at least that. Sure. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So he really, uh, I think the the biggest Ethan love is, or the biggest Ethan lesson for me is just how he, how he loved, how good of a friend he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That's for something sure. I could say I, that I took from him as well. How about as far as music being a songwriter? I mean, you know, it's, it's no secret that he was just a phenomenal musician and inspiring to a bunch of other musicians, especially those that performed with him. Were there any music lessons that you took from watching him perform or singing with him a little bit? Sure. I mean, Ethan's music theory is just borderline unrivaled, you know? Um, The thing for me was really, he created, I don't want to say he demanded because everything about Ethan could be so polite. It's direct. It was, it was very direct. It was honest and transparent, but it was always polite. And he, I, was coming from a place in songwriting before I met Ethan that once it was almost good enough, it was done. I didn't really work with a lot of people that pushed for the best sound possible. And with Ethan, we were jamming or just tinkering around in the living room and picking at stuff and playing at stuff. If it could be better, or if we could explore a different way to do something, he was going to do it. And that is absolutely something I've taken into my songwriting. Now I'll be excited about something, put it down for a second turn around, go get a cup of coffee, come back and kick up the tempo or change the key just to see, just in case there's something lurking there that might be better than what I thought. And that is 110% Ethan Newman, (laughs) for sure, for sure. Yeah, that's cool. 
He just wasn't afraid to be better. He wasn't afraid to say, hey, if you go outside and just do a little vocal warming, you this could probably be smoother and that could be raspier. And he, he wasn't afraid to to exchange that way. And it creates such a safe place in music making. Did you ever have like a song you were struggling with specifically that you brought to him and said, hey, help me with this? Um, or pick his brain about something you were working on? Not so much that I, um, you know, not to, not for this rabbit hole, because it's as all relationships, it's very layered and complex. And if you were around Ethan in those Asia years, there was a lot there, but after Asia's passing, I, it took me a minute to, and, and it, by a minute, I mean, several months, um, either the, the couple of months leading up to Asia's passing were difficult in general. And, but then after, um, I was just completely disconnected from making music and Ethan um, really brought, not only did he point it out, not only was he the one that had kind of the guts, I think, to say it to me out of the friends that were standing around, I definitely got the vibe that was like, well, I'm not saying it to her. I'm not, you know, you say it to her. Ethan was like, I'll tell her type thing. Um, I didn't want to jam anymore. I didn't want to have anything to do with it kind of. And he not only brought that back, but I was struggling with how how to make music than than I had in the past and he let me inch by inch he was like hey how about we just do this today how about we just you know fiddle today how about we just whatever you know noodle today or whatnot so he kind of um gave me that walk me back into it if you will cool yeah yeah for sure that sounds like an evening for sure yeah completely you know <laughs> what what did you notice about the way he treated people in general? You know, people that you know, were to him or just people in his vicinity. It could even be people he didn't even know. He well, that's that's a great like. I'm glad you threw that on there at the end about people he didn't even know. He was just kind of fearless with people. He definitely, you know, he's one of those guys as they say, never met a stranger for sure. You know, um, but. I always really respected and appreciated that he wasn't afraid to say to someone, you're having a bad day? That sucks. Let's do this. He wasn't afraid to just jump in with you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. He met you five minutes ago. Or, you know, I remember this one time. It was a Sunday afternoon. There's seven people in the entire place. And Ethan's up on stage, and I forget who he was playing with. And this couple comes in and they're in a suit and a dress and they just got married. It didn't, it didn't necessarily look like it, but he figured out they just got married, not a big party, just the two of them. And for the next 45 minutes, he asked the crowd if it was okay. But for the next 45 minutes, he just played what they wanted to hear. He made the whole room from the stage without getting down, without going on break, without talking to people. He made the whole, we knew their life story. We knew how they met. Like he was like, oh, hold on, that's a song. Like he, they were telling little anecdotes about how they met and he'd cut them off and play a song to that. And then he'd get the next little thing and play. He just had this really fearless way of getting to know people. And I just, I, I don't want to say that I envied it. Um, I really, I really just wanted the world to be more like it. 
if yeah. that makes sense. I wanted I wanted other people to envy it. I you know I wanted other people to be like Ethan. You know. Yeah, what an awesome world it would be, right? If every if more yeah. people were like Ethan. <laughs> It was, we'd, it's, um, I think a lot of people would be happier for sure, you know? Yeah, we could use some Ethan in today's world for sure. You know, I'd really like, like to think that the energy he left behind with so many people was infectious and would hopefully spread at least, you know. But that's for sure, it. I definitely, I don't think he was someone people forgot easily. You know, if you met Ethan and spend any kind of time with him i don't think he uh, i don't think there's a lot of people he was lost on which is you can't say that about everyone you know it's an unfortunate thing but you can't say that about everybody i think something that would endear him to a lot of people was his sense of humor because he was able to adapt his sense of humor to you know specifically to whoever it was that that was around him um did you guys have like a particular you know a genre of humor that you would share with each other was there funny things that he would do that you that you um, related to him with for sure I mean I have a favorite Ethan story for sure I'm so glad this has come up because I don't I don't know if I've ever actually told this story but he so when you play when you play live music you know you fill out 1099s you fill out a piece of paper it says we paid you to sign here okay so the club was kind of just getting going and it was at a stage where he had to fill one out every time he played and again, he, he played often. So subsequently, because of Ethan, I ended up just printing them and having them pre-filled and they just had to sign. Because Smart. one of the times Ethan was filling out said form, I didn't check his anymore. He did it so often that I didn't check them anymore. Usually, so I get a call on my day off, corporate office in Florida calls me out there and says, you know, you're not checking and yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, what are you talking about? And she says, open your email. And I open the email and it's scan of Ethan Newman's 1099 and under race, Ethan has handwritten in reptile. <laughs> and so I go, she's like, he has to be filled out. And I'm dying laughing. I mean, I'm just, I'm not even mad. She's like, this isn't funny. And, you know, I know her very well now, but at the time I was like, no, 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 it's not. I'm like, you have to know Ethan. She's like, I don't care. This is a federal document, blah, blah, blah. Whatever. So I called Ethan and I go, you got us in trouble you know you got you, you got us in trouble and he went down the list of how it could be possible he's like think about it this is in a perfect ethan way you know he's like my oxygen level is 92.7 and i could be a reptile and, I, and then for years every time he would you know i would get pictures or videos he'd be in front of a reptile store and it's his <laughs> selfie and he's like you know he's like can't go in there type deal he's like they'll put me in a cage and it just became this thing that he was a reptile and it just it you know he's been gone a couple years now and it still makes me laugh and that's so that's a good one so funny you know yeah ethan reptile and then he put a line on the same paper he put a line through his social and he goes if you know you know (laughs) (laughs) you can't with him you know yeah so i look at that I saved it, the 1099 picture, even then. I was, I had it in my mind. I was going to make it his birthday card every year. Just, yeah. yeah, so I see it sometimes. It makes me That's laugh. Funny. You know, he would do this thing. Jay Poole talks about this on his episode. Um, but like, you know, oftentimes, like sometimes Todd wouldn't be able to make a, a gig or whatever, like when he was doing his acoustic thing. So he'd mm-hmm. have you come 
you know, he'd call up, he'd go through his list of buddies. And there were a couple of times where I'd come in and sub for Todd or whoever, and sure. he'd have to write you a check. You know, he'd write you a check for, you know, for your cut of the kitty or whatever. And mm -hmm. in the part, like the little memo part, he would, he would always write like the craziest stuff. I'm I mean, terrified to hear you. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't remember specifically. I mean, one of them was like, uh, for selling him like some exotic Chinese herb or I don't know. I mean, there's, I'm not as witty as him, so I can't even, I just, sure. there were so many funny things he would write in, but it just, his sense of humor is just ridiculous. His house, the house was so, you know, he lived in that house over there for so long that right. by the time I met him and he'd had so many different roommates and, you know, so we'd be hanging out and I don't know, you know, he's folding laundry on in one of the rooms. And so we're all sitting on the floor just talking to him while he's doing whatever he's doing. And he would open a random drawer and just proceed to play out a theatrical production of something that he just randomly pulled out of the drawer. And you're like, what? I used to tell him all the time. We would talk about neuroscience all the time. I'm obsessed now. I was obsessed then. And I would tell him if I had the choice, I'd pick your brain. I want to go <laughs> into your brain and just live in there for a while because his humor was so sharp, so fast, so witty. Just, yeah. It took nothing for him to, to be able to make a joke. And it's, it was a gift, you know, it was a gift. It was a gift. Yeah. And it came so naturally to him. Um, what I was going to say earlier was, you know, I met him in 2004. And so, you know, that there was that period in between two, say 2000 and 2009 or so before the iPhone like blew up and smartphones were everywhere. And, ah. and he, for the longest time, wouldn't get a, a cell phone or a beeper. And he was like, if you wanted to get a hold of him, you had to leave a message on his machine at home. And I'm sure you can imagine all of the hilarious messages that he would put on his machine. Because when I first met him, I'd have to call him. I'd have to call him and leave him a message. Then he would call me back when he'd have a chance. And he would change them like every, sure. every week. It would be something new. Or he'd tell like something that's in the news or how the weather was going to be that week. Or <laughs> it was just like... Do you remember? He, exactly. I remember this one clearly. He had a voicemail recording. Oh. on his cell phone that said if your message has any kind of numbers letters sanskrit of any kind please text me this information and i just remember the first time i heard it being like i don't even remember what i called you about Ethan. what like numbers letters he's like if you have if you're going to leave words or sentences please text it to me and it's just if you knew ethan you're like this checks out this makes a lot of sense and i just i remember it being funny then and it still makes me laugh it's just yeah. the most random i know right <laughs> well i mean it sounds like you guys got really close and you spent a lot of time with them and you got to know them really well you were with them through you know a lot of things that went on in his life um so what would you say like in your opinion what do you think ethan valued the most I mean, I definitely think it was his his family and friends. I don't know if I ball that all up into the umbrella of love, but I know that I mean it's really easy to to kind of remember how Ethan just didn't prioritize money. 
he didn't prioritize right you know just the the traditional if you will maybe for lack of a better term things in life i don't want to say he was an unambitious person but i think he got it right you know he really cared about kind of the cliche important things if you will and i remember you know he was the sort of guy that that as long as everyone else was having fun he was having fun if the people around him were happy, he was happy. Right. And it, it took me a little bit to get that with him. It took me about a year to really, you know, because I can be similar. And so I, you know, we would kind of sit down together and I'm like, how was your day? He's like, how was your day? Can I get you anything? Can I get you anything? And so it, it took me a while to go, oh, this is really you. And, and kind of believe him that it wasn't just a, a tact to be able to deal with that many people. It wasn't an approach to just kind of be able to handle his life, if you will. That was genuinely Ethan's heart. He wanted to make people happy or laugh or bring joy in in a way. And I don't know if that's exactly the way he would have said it, but um, it, it, you know, it, it kind of became really once the light bulb turned on. It was just like, well, duh. Um, that's what he loved about life. I think you know he just wanted to have fun, and then everybody else around him to have fun too, and. He was a good judge of character. You know, I, I think that it, I struggled for a minute after he passed because for a second, um, it's a difficult thing to talk about when someone's passed that, you know, there were a few people, I don't even know, so they know how to say that. Like, it, basically, like, there, I saw him put up boundaries as well, you know, and that was, that's something that he taught me really beautifully as well. I never saw Ethan put up a boundary with someone professionally or personally that wasn't so respectfully done. You know, he really brought respect to the table every time. He'd be like, hey man, I gotta talk to you about something. Can we sit down? And he knew he just wasn't all that jazzed about it. it it's not like he was gonna tell you something exciting. And I, I just thought that was so incredible. Again, if we could all do that. And um, so, so to see him, you know, be able to be capable of that made it really easy to see how he just preferred the happy times. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, you kind of mentioned earlier, like around 2020 when the pandemic hit, that you were mm -hmm. working in California. So did you, did you leave Phoenix before... Ethan passed away before, you know, the winter of 2020. What year did you leave? Phoenix? I did. Um, again, it's, you know, Ethan was such a part of my departure as well, because the Asia's, Asia's passing was a catalyst for a lot. Um, again, so abrupt, just, you know, I don't want to say we had time with Ethan, but with everything that had happened, the fear of Ethan passing was, was concerning from the day he went in the hospital. I remember the day Kirsten called me and, um, and was like, Ethan's, you know, Ethan was admitted to the hospital today. And I was immediately like, this is a problem. But Asia was so fast. And so after Asia passed, I remember going to Ethan and saying, you know, I'm, I'm doing life all wrong. And I want to get out of here. And I want to do my own shop like I always wanted to. And Ethan was really kind of the only one at the time who was like, go. The other people in life. I'm sorry, I didn't know if it glitched again for a second. Other people in life. um, family friends were like, you can't quit your job right now. You can't move to California. I was supposed to be coming back East, not going further West. And Ethan was like, no, you can't not go to California. 
you can't not do this. You have to go, you know, you talk about it all the time. You have to do this. And so he was a really big part of Sonder, which was the name of my restaurant. And um, again, he came out when it opened and was so supportive and played my year anniversary. I mean, we knew that he was going to play the year anniversary party, I think, before we opened. Uh, so I was like, I'm not doing that day without you, you know, type deal. Um, he and another buddy, Kyle Phelan of ours, who gigs a lot around town, came out and uh, they played it. But he, so I left in the summer of 2016. Is that right? Yes. And didn't come back to, I was in Florida when I heard uh, just for the holidays about him passing, but I actually didn't move back to Arizona until last year, until August of 2022. So I was gone for five, six years there. So when you left, I mean, did he do a pretty good job of keeping in touch? Oh, gosh, yes. I mean, same thing. It's still the text messages and the calls and, you know, the communication kind of stayed the same. But even more so, you know, he was so for what Ethan was going through after losing his partner and everything that that can entail, which is such a, you know, so that's such a singular experience for everybody. But um. Even even in his bouts of extreme grief, um, he would always check on me. He was always like, how are you? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm supposed to be checking on you. And he's like, no, how are you? And so he's like, you know, it's, it's really stressful opening up a place. He was always checking on me and making sure I was okay. And okay, but are you happy? You know, you, you're telling me, Shannon, that you finished all the booths today and you picked out the tile today and you designed the bathroom today, but did you have fun? And... The fact that it was never lost on me that even what he was going through at that time, he was finding ways to be there for me in this big moment of my life. Yeah. And uh, so we never, the distance never made, and I was still popping back and forth. Arizona had become my home for sure. And, you know, so I'd pop in and see him. And it was, I have a really interesting story for the last time I saw Ethan. I was, I was in. I was just going to ask you if you remember the last time you saw him. I do. I was in, um, I'd met Kirsten. There's a, a story for another time for how he, he's so cute, how he first called me and told me he was falling in love again and, and all that. So I, I had met her, you know, a good amount of times before I, um, before the last time I saw him, but it was in 2020 in the summer of 2020. And I was home visiting for the weekend and I had texted him that morning and said, I'm not going out tonight. I'll call you tomorrow, you know, whatnot, whatnot. And I ended up going out and didn't tell him. And he said, same thing. He said, we're staying home. And so uh, we, and so I didn't think to, you know, to message him because he said he was staying in as well. So, okay. So I go out and I went to Copper Blues. I wasn't with the company anymore, but I went downtown. And if you know where Copper Blues is downtown, it's, um, it's on the second floor. And so the doors of the elevator opened and Ethan was standing there. I'm not kidding you. The, my business partner in, um, was with me and he, you know, I looked at him and I go this, and he hadn't met Ethan yet. And I was like, this looks like something out of a dream because the, the elevator doors just, and he turns around and he was like, Shannon Brown and his <laughs> total Ethan, you know, and he was with Kirsten. He just swooped me up and we, we never really got to enjoy copper together. One of the two of us was working. So we went inside the four of us and had a quick toast. And I, he's like, we're head, they, we were just getting there and they were going home for the night. And so we got to have a good half an hour and just kind of hug. And 
have this little, oh my God, it's so random that we were really, you know, finally getting some time off together here. And I hadn't been back to Copper in a couple of years and seeing it all change. And he had, so he was walking me around my room. You know, it was just really this beautiful thing. And that was the last time, you know, that was the last time I saw him. I went back to work and a couple months later, it all happened. A cool exchange uh, for one of, for the last time that you saw him. And it's a very Ethan way to see him too. He just kind of pops, pops up and there he is, you know. For, for sure. It's, it felt very, you know, it's easy now to attribute it to like pearly gates, but just to see the doors of an elevator open and there's, there's just people everywhere. It's, you know, it's, it was a busy, it was a Friday or Saturday night, one of the busy nights that the doors just open and right there stands Ethan and Kirsten. And I was just like, <laughs> you know, that's so cool. <laughs> sort of thing. So, yes. Well, Shannon, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me tonight. It's been awesome talking to you. I'm loving everything that you're talking about. Um, but I've had, you know, I've been asking you a bunch of questions, but is there anything um, that I've left off that you maybe you were thinking about before we talked tonight? No, I mean, I really, I'm just, I'm so thankful you're doing this. I mean, it's just such a beautiful way to love Ethan and to, I'm a big proponent of, you know, our, our loved ones that have passed over. If we, if we keep chatting about them, then they're still around. So I think what you're doing is just absolutely awesome and incredible, but you know, and it's nice. It's just, it's really healing to hear these stories about him and, you know, just hear all these sort of people's different perspectives. I have a, I miss the Delcoa era of Ethan. I missed all of the kind of pre before I moved their stuff. And so listening to to your podcast and your stories and other stories has just been really really beautiful and um and cool you know just selfishly as his friend it's just, it's just really cool to hear i'm so glad thanks for sharing that with me yeah my pleasure if you had an opportunity to talk to ethan one more time or to get a message to him or just let him know something one last time what would it be i mean it you know, what's interesting is I, I still do talk to him often. Like I do, I'm, I'm one of those people, my, my faith, my spirituality, whatever, whatever you kind of call it, or, um, you know, when I need him, I call to him. I, I tell him, I tell him all the time, it's his responsibility to come around. I'm like, I need you get down here, you know, and I can hear him in my head from time to time. But, um, I think that I definitely, I don't, I don't know if he ever really got the true, depth with which I okay when Jay Allen was on your podcast he mentioned that he he said something that I just stopped what I was doing when I listened and said it was me too type thing he said that Ethan changed the trajectory of his life and same I don't think Ethan really ever understood that I wasn't joking when I said that because a lot because of a lot of he and I's conversations um I had the guts to kind of let my life go a, a certain way. And um, it would be really easy to say that I would be where I am even without Ethan, but sometimes not even, not even because he's passed. I knew when he was here, you know, I, I used to say to him, I'm not, I, I don't think I would have done that. I don't think I would have done that. Had you not been like, Shan, you really want to do this, you know, you, without his encouragement and his, I really, for as often as we, as often as he loved out loud, as often as he said that, you know, he cared in our friendship and, and love and such, it's, I, I really want him to know that um, he made the biggest difference in my life. Just 
just the biggest difference. And I think that would have to be it for sure. Well, that's a beautiful message and not, you wouldn't be the only one telling them that. That's for sure. I don't know if Ethan um, realized, you know, the impact he had on so many people. I'm sure he did, but as you know, he was the kind of guy where if you complimented him, he would deflect and compliment right back. Exactly. So sure. that'd be a good the one. Hope is, the hope is that he knows it now, at least, you know? Yeah. Well, let's hope. Yeah. For sure. Thank you so much, Shannon. I appreciate your time tonight and um, just opening up and being vulnerable and sharing all this stuff with us is a very special thing. And thank you for reaching out and um, agreeing to speak with me. It's it's my pleasure. Anytime. This is, uh, you know, podcasts can have become such a part of our world, but this has been the best reason to do one I have had yet. So I'm I'm thankful for you for sure. It was a pleasure meeting you, Shannon. Thanks again, and you have a good night. Pleasure as well. Thanks, Chris. You're welcome. Okay, bye-bye. So as you can tell from our conversation, Ethan and Shannon had a very meaningful friendship, and they both mean a lot to each other. And I really appreciate Shannon... Uh, taking the initiative to reach out to me and agreeing to talk to me because listening to her thoughts and comments and memories just adds a whole other layer to uh, help us understand who Ethan was and how he was with his friends. So thank you, Shannon, for talking to me. It was a pleasure meeting you. Before we talk about my next guest, I'd like to mention that the podcast will be taking a break for the remainder of December. I'll be returning the first Friday of January on the 5th to present the last three shows of the podcast to you. And uh, I think that you're really going to enjoy my last three guests. That's assuming that no one else reaches out to me. And if you're listening to this and you have the feeling that you might want to talk to me about Ethan before we wrap up the podcast, please feel free to reach out. I'd be happy to speak with you. So make sure to join me for the next episode at the beginning of January where I'll be having my third and final roundtable with the band Capital Down. Capital Down was another cover band that Ethan performed in, and the members were Mike Mercier, Mike Hill, Alan Chadwick, and of course Ethan. I have a great conversation with those guys, and I think you're going to enjoy it. I was hoping to leave you today with a song that Shannon wrote, um, but she let me know that she doesn't own the licensing for the songs that she sells. So instead, I remember walking away from that conversation with a song that I wrote in, on my mind because she just reminded me about how supportive and encouraging Ethan was towards his friends and their music or their lives in general. And I remember that this was a, another song of mine that I showed Ethan. And uh, he really gave me the confidence to finish writing the song and put it together. And he plays an awesome bass line. And it's not a typical style of music that I write. So I give him credit for giving me the confidence to go forward with the song and also for the support of playing bass on the song as well. This song is called Dance and it's off of my High Fives in the Hallway EP that I released in 2020. So I hope everyone has a wonderful holiday season. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. I know that for me and my family, we will be celebrating Ethan's life on the 29th, which is the anniversary of his passing. 
And I think I might do that by listening to some former episodes and listen to some of the people talk about them that I've spoke with over the past year and a half or so. Thanks for joining and we'll see you soon. Short to pass a chance to try. Come with me. I don't know either. Let's just go and see. We hardly get the chance to be so free. So fun now. Let's keep it open. Sure, yeah.